Hello and what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and I'm here talking all things Sporting Salford. Join me the show this week. As ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, looking forward to talking all things Sporting Salford and beyond. bit different this week. Obviously, it's pre-recorded, so we're going to basically chit-chat about the world of sport. Yeah, we are, Rob. I mean, it's a bit of a disappointment for those out there that wanted the rugby or the latest with mm. Manchester United. We have seen the Wrexham defeat, so we are up to date in that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, obviously the boxing coming up, Crawford Spence, we can't get onto that this week, but me and Paul will make sure we do a big breakdown on that coming up. But being honest, Rob, you've caught me in a bit of a bad way this week. Have I? Why is that, James? Because I finally, about 10 years too late, come to the end of The Sopranos. Oh. And so, how do you feel? Uh, well, I'm not going to spoil the ending for anybody who hasn't watched it. It's controversial, Instantly, I'm not sure what I thought about it. After sleeping on it, Rob, I think I quite like it. I think it's pretty masterful the way that they do it. To be honest, there's a bit of a big Tony Soprano void in my life, <laughs> which hopefully you can fill, Rob, because I think you've got a presence somewhat like Tony Soprano. Yeah, I watched a, I watched a, a TV series called The Watcher, uh, which is Watcher. good. So that might be something you want to watch, James. Uh, you're part of an the American... Book. A series, six part, so that'll keep you going, I think, for at least a couple of days. Well, I'll give it a whirl, Rob. I'll happily give it a whirl because uh, I'm always open to new things. And, <laughs> you know, looking back at that quickly, you know, do you think you'd make a decent mafia boss, Rob? I think I would. I think the way football uh, chairmen run football clubs, they could be mistaken for mafia bosses, uh, some of them anyway, James. But it's, uh, for me, I'm thinking a bit too nice for that. What about you? I think I'd be absolutely useless. I think I'd really struggle with the logistics of running an organised crime group. Um, I think, I'll say you would be pretty good at it, Rob. And well, I think you could do some real business. Is Jose Mourinho. Mm. He's got the looks. He's got the coolness. He's got everything you need in a, in a, a wannabe mafia boss. He has. He has, Rob. I mean... Then you've got to look at who would be pretty useless. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I think he'd be a useless man. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so, James. I think he's just too nice for that. He is. But then again, I can't imagine anybody being a, a crime mafia boss in Norway. But then again, maybe I'm I'm being you know somewhat naive to the crime that goes on in Norway. <laughs> There's probably lots of sport as well goes on in, in Norway as well. But I suppose it's uh, it's one of them things you've got to be you've got to do what you can do best, and that's what Ole decided to do. He decided to play football rather than. A, Turn to a life of crime. Yeah, I like the idea, Rob, of a Norwegian fan arriving in Salford, you know, getting used to his surroundings, deciding, you know what, I'm going to listen to the local sports radio, see what's going on. And instead of hearing sporting news, he's listening to whether his country can or cannot produce crime bosses. It's all about development. That's what they talk about in, in, in any sport and any squad as well. Squad development. And I'm sure there is people in that in that cycle ready to be the next big thing. Yeah, and I think in Oslo in particular, they really work on that. <laughs> so, obviously, talking about the football, we've, we're in June now, aren't we, James? It's been uh, seven months of 2023. Um, how's it been for you in, in the world of football, do you think? It's been an interesting one, obviously. Manchester United have been decent this year. Eric Tenard got off to a rocky start, didn't he? But I think as the season went on, it came together. There was one point where we were actually getting a bit ahead of ourselves and thinking, can we win the Premier League? Obviously, that never happened. We've got a League Cup to our name. The first trophy we've won in eight or so years, nearly a decade. So it's good to see Manchester United back to winning. All in all, I like what Eric Ten Hag's done. 
I like the way that he's directing the club. As of right now, we've still not secured our new owners. The sale has not gone through. But I think there's a lot to be excited about as a Manchester United fan. Yeah, James, it's it's obviously, like you say, Hentai came in. He, he got us to the Champions League, which is important. Um, obviously, with everything going on, we need to be competing at the very top level, don't we? And we're in June, we're, uh, sort of June ice now. Sorry, we're, we're building towards a new Premier League season. He's, he's obviously managed managed to 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 get rid of uh, the Manchester United goalkeeper uh, David De Gea and brought in a new one. There were a lot of people questioning his judgment on that, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, the Premier League is a different league to any other uh, league around the world physically for a goalkeeper. So it'll be interesting to see how our new uh, goalkeeper uh, does yeah it will Bob. I mean Onana is a great player we know we've seen what he can do at Inter Milan there's going to be a void for the time being for David De Gea because although there are some fans out there who aren't the nicest who aren't the kindest to, to our Spanish legend he did a lot for that club and it's going to be weird to have somebody in between the sticks who's not David De Gea mm-hmm. you're right you're right, but how do you rate him as being one of the, one of Man United's goalkeepers? Obviously, Peter Schmeichel is my favourite goalkeeper. Ah. I think I don't think David De Gea is in his league, but David De Gea does have. I think it's the top clean sheets at Manchester United, which shows that he, te- you know, statistically is, is the best goalie United has ever had. Yeah, Rob. I mean, it's becoming beyond a joke now. Hawk, and you're bringing <laughs> up Schmeichel. I mean, I think it was only a week ago yeah. where I had to pick up on it. it any time to bring in this man, you will take full advantage of him. You'll probably be telling me in a minute that he's the best possible mafia boss Manchester United has ever had. Yes, that as but, well. I think, James, you got a safe pair of hands uh, and uh, quiet as well. You know, unless you're shouting at his opponents or, or his defenders. So, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, he, did have a, he did have that in him, that nasty streak. He's, well, that, that, they've got to be that way, Rob. <laughs> they've got to be that way or they will get caught out. Mm. And uh, De Gea, unfortunately, has been hit so to speak, in mafia terms. He is gone. Onana is in. He's the new goalkeeper, the man between the sticks, the man that we rely on. And I want to put my belief in him. If Eric Ten Hag thinks he's capable, then I do too. Yeah. So let, let's hope for a big season for Onana. And there's some preseason games coming up. Obviously, by the time this is out, we will know how they will have gone. So, yeah, we've just got to hope for the best, really. And as the season rolls on, it might take a bit of time to settle in. That's that In all likelihood, that's what I'm expecting. David De Gea, if you remember, he didn't go straight away and he wasn't doing brilliantly as soon as he signed so this could take a bit of time and I'm open to giving him that mm. I think Onana is a different type of goalie than we've ever experienced at Old Trafford he likes to play with his feet comfortable on the ball going to breed confidence to his defenders lots of problems last season about our defensive unit not being comfortable on the ball but him being an outlet will will definitely help that um, it's whether he's actually as good as David De Gea as being a goalkeeper, that's the big question for me because we all know David De Gea saved lots, uh, saved lots of potential goals against Manchester United and saved him many matches, didn't he? So he has a he has a big job on his hands uh, to to replicate that. Yeah, I mean, people literally have completely forgotten how often he used to save us, haven't they? Mm. David De Gea, even when he was having bad seasons, people would focus on the negatives as opposed to the positives, and that's somewhat. You know what comes with being human. We forget about the, the the good stuff and just focus on the negatives. For me, he's a legend. He'll always be a legend. I'm thankful for everything he's done for the football club. Hopefully, Anana can do that similar sort of thing, and hopefully, he'll be remembered for his performances. It's a big, big job though to be the goalkeeper of Manchester United. And from what you've seen of him, Rob, has he got the minerals? Yeah, I, I, yeah, James. You know, he, he does. You know, 
really good, like I say, with his feet. He's able to knock the ball about, move the, the attack well. Um, and the, the clips I've seen of him actually doing what a goalkeeper does, which is save, save shots, he, he does that really well as well. Catches the ball quite a bit as well, which is what you need in, in the English game, I feel. Too many goalkeepers come and punch the ball, uh, which if you don't punch it in the right direction, then it can cause all kind of problems can't it, to your defenders. So from what I've seen, James is, is certainly uh, somebody who's going to hopefully take Manchester United to that next level. Um, talk about going to that next level. Uh, Man United have been in the uh, hunt for a centre-forward. Centre-forward Ramos Jolund uh, is, is the target. Uh, the next uh, Haaland, by all account, James. So he could be our answer uh, to a centre-forward uh, problem we have. Yeah, uh, Manchester United want to score goals and he could be a tool to doing that. And you're always, Rob, when you talk tactically, mm. you put a lot of emphasis on a good centre-forward. I do. I do, James, because it's so important. The way you go from back to front um, playing football is, is you know, so sort of big when it comes to how you want a team to play. If you, you need your centre forward to be able to hold the ball up so everybody can get up the field, extra 10, 15, 20 yards up the field, and then you can transition from defence to attack. And I think over the last few years, James, it's been sort of playing as a nose on your face that Manchester United don't have a centre-forward who can hold the ball up. The ball just comes straight back off the Ratchford or, or any other sort of centre-forward they've had over the last few years. And it puts the midfield and defenders under pressure constantly. So to have somebody who can hold the ball up, distribute well, and he scores goals as well, uh, by all accounts. So he could be the perfect uh, you know, thing for Manchester United. I just hope that we are able to put our hands in our pockets and bring him in because obviously with Manchester United bringing a player in, you get the Man United tax where teams add sort of ten million on top of what the what they should be uh, paying for players. Uh, but hopefully that won't happen, and uh, Eric Ten Hag will get his man. Yeah, you've got to vote so, haven't you, Rob? Uh, Eric Ten Hag has been pretty good at securing his men so far, and we're hoping that this man is another one. That Eric Ten Hag has, that Eric Ten Hag will bring in. We've had problems over the last few years with securing the right players. Hopefully, that's seemingly changing now because Manchester United this season, as opposed to last season and a few seasons before, it's a bit of a risk. Whereas now there is that chance that you can win a trophy at Manchester United. I think that's very important. Mm. And it's it's only sixty million. He says only sixty million, but in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to how much. Players are going for in the current market sixty million for someone who has that much potential. Play for Norway internationally, um, you know, scored goals even in his relatively small career at present. So it, it seems like he will develop as Man United develops, which is what Ten Hag is all about. It's about producing a team that can reach the Champions League, can compete at the top of the Premier League, get to the latter stages of the Champions League but I'll do it in a youthful and exuberant way. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. We, we need players who can do that. Eric Ten Hag has obviously done such a good job at bringing people in, and I'm very excited for what the future has in store. Looking ahead to this season to come, Rob, obviously Manchester have to be the favourites. Liverpool are hoping to bounce back. The interesting one for me, Rob, is Newcastle. Mm. I think with Newcastle, we have an idea about where they are going as a club with all the investment that, that have come in and they've brought a few players in to try and you know get them to that next level and 
it's a big season for him, Eddie Howe. You know, a good coach, good manager, got them playing the right way. Um, but it's a big test for them because they're not the surprise package anymore. People know that they have good players. They've got players who are good enough to play in the Champions League now. So teams will set their stall out accordingly. So it will be a test to see if Newcastle can weather that uh, and put pressure on teams and win games. Because that's the most important thing, I think, when it comes to sort of Premier League. It's winning games that you're not supposed to win. That's what gets you towards the top of the Premier League table. Yeah, that is it. Uh, Manchester United, a team who have, over the last few seasons, dropped points quite frequently. Newcastle, a team who are now picking up a lot of points. They were very consistent last season, weren't they? And we had this big wonder of how long is it going to take them to get to the big leagues. It's taken them a season, Rob. A mm. season to get into the Champions League. And let's not make a mistake. I mean, just a, not so long ago, they were a championship side. So if this is what they can do within one season... How long scary. is it going to take before they're knocking on the door of winning the Premier League? Yeah, scary times. But when you think about it, Man City took them a couple of seasons, didn't it, to get it right. Um, but it seems that other teams have, have learned from that era from Manchester City and, and decided to, to get it get the right people in. Because obviously, when you think about it back then, Rubinho came in to Man City and it was all a bit mishmash with, with, with players who were top players. But didn't really fit into the system, did they? But I suppose with Pep Guardiola com- coming along, um, has, has changed all that. He's decided that he's about the team and not individuals, and that's where I think sort of Man City have, have have managed to create this dynasty. It's not really about the players, even though it does help because obviously with all the money in the world, you can go out and buy the best of the best, and you can build a squad full of internationals with two, you know, two internationals per position uh, to select from, but. Behind all that, you have the top class coach who tactically is spot on, knows you know what how to play. Don't forget, he has had success everywhere he go, everywhere he's gone. And Pep Guardiola, so people were concerned whether he'd be able to break the English market and, and do his success here. But he's proved everyone wrong. He's, he's you know he's, he's turned Manchester City into a global phenomenon who uh, obviously won a treble and the, the world's their oyster now, isn't it? It is, Rob. And if you are a Manchester City fan. Where'd you go from here? Because the money's not going away. Mm. Pep Guardiola's here for another season. Early Haaland's only going to get better. So is anything below a treble a poor season? Do they need to keep doing this consistently? Where are you at now if you're a City fan? I think with, with it being a sort of, if you're a City fan, it's all about being consistent in it now. You need to be able to continue to compete in your Champions League at the top of their Premier League. And I think. Pep Guardiola knows his team, he knows his squad, he knows how to evolve it. It's like Alex Ferguson in, in the Fergie years where he re- rebuilt that Man United team four times maybe in his dynasty and he'll be looking at this this uh, squad of players thinking, well, who's coming towards the end of, of their you know cycle at Manchester City? Who's not hungry enough and, and he'll know that and he'll see that in training and he'll be able to usher them out the door and bring some new people in to keep the hunger uh, alive in the squad. I think that's the important thing, especially the way, the way football is now, where, you know, really money dominates, doesn't it? And people get sort of uh, excited about the money and motivated by the money, but really it's about the sport and it's about winning and I think that's the important thing about Man City, that they've got that bug of wanting to win, regardless of how much they get paid. Yeah, they most certainly have got the bug, Rob. And somebody who does care 
about how much he gets paid is Jordan Henderson because mm. he has left the Premier League and he's in Saudi. What do you make of this? Yeah, Saudi Arabia. You know, throwing, I talked about the money, didn't we? Throwing the money around, bringing, you know, the top players uh, to their uh, division. Uh, Henderson, you know, he, he's he's a player who we've all admired, you know, in that in that Liverpool midfield. He was supposed to be the, the replacement for Steven Gerrard. And in a way, he kind of did um, sort of captain to a, sort of Liverpool to the title and all that. And I suppose he is now getting towards the end of his career. He knows that there isn't that many years left for him at the top level. And I suppose he saw this opportunity. They've come along and offered him a, a bumper contract, which is which is what, you know, everybody gets when they go to Saudi Arabia. And he thought to himself, you know what, why not? I mean, in the last sort of three, if I can do three years here, you know, line my pockets and, and, and retire wealthy, even though he's obviously been on Liverpool you know, mega money for Liverpool as well. But I suppose it's playing on the other side of the world, experiencing a new sort of lifestyle uh, and a new way to play football. It's probably not great for the ethics of football because obviously they've come in and they're trying to attract, you know, the best players to go over there. We're talking about, you know, we're probably going to talk about Mbappe and, you know, their offer for him. And, you know, he is at the start of his career. So it's a real decision for him. If he decides to go, even for a year, then... You know that'll open the eyes, everyone's eyes. Wanted to, you know, how powerful the the draw is to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's worrying, isn't it, Rob? Because Saudi Arabia have done big things in bringing WWE over to their country, to bring in F one over, to bring in big boxing bouts like Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk and Jake Paul and Tommy Fury, etc. And they're doing real business in that regard. Mm. However, it's now looking like they're doing the same thing with football. Is there a danger now with the amount of money they have of Saudi Arabia becoming genuine powerhouses in this sport? It could, it could be, James, because obviously what will happen is an ideal world for them. They'll have the best players in the world playing for their league. But... They've got they've got to think of the youth, the South, the Saudi, the young Saudi kids coming through, learning off the top players. And I suppose in a development way, in five years' time, that Saudi league, Saudi national team might be one of the best in 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 the world because they'll have learned and developed off the top players who play there. Now it is a long way down the road, uh, but we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, the Premier League is class is one of the big, biggest and best leagues in the world and I suppose they might be looking over their shoulder because you know, they want to be able to attract the best of the best but if it's a one-way ticket to Saudi Arabia with a big bag of money or comes to the Premier League uh, with a, a, a big bag, bag of money but not as big as Saudi's bag uh, then the players might have a decision to make. Yeah, they might do, Rob. And it's sort of testing the morality of these players at the moment of yeah. what's more important money or legacy the danger is rob if so many of these players start to pick the money then gradually saudi arabia will develop a pretty high standard of a league and that's going to completely turn the market upside down because how will spain england italy germany these powerhouses that we've had in the past compete with the money in saudi arabia because it, it, it's it's simply not the same i mean we're seeing in boxing the furies and the joshua's saying we can't fight in the uk we're going to do it in Saudi. These are two British fighters, for example, that could make massive money here, could sell 90,000 tickets, but they'll make more selling 5,000 in Saudi. Mm. And that's that's the big problem, really, because obviously we talked about the Premier League, but Spain probably look at the Premier League and think, you know, they're bossing Europe. They they have all the, the draw 
for our players. They want to get to Premier League and earn mega money. How do we keep them from the Premier League? That's his first. But then you've got Saudi Arabia who are there on the horizon. That's another, like a double threat in it, really, for them. Um, so it's going to be, like you say, the other divisions, Germany, France, you know, it's European football in danger of, of losing that kind of quality that, that we all know it has because the players will want to go to, you know, the far side of the world to, to play football for that little bit more money. That, that's what that's what I think, Rob. That That's what I'm seriously concerned about that this this whole thing is going to go Saudi central we're seeing more and more players going over there if Mbappe makes the call then that'll be extremely worrisome for the future of the game for now I'm hoping that that doesn't happen but if you're the Premier League if you're Syria if you're Bundesliga how do you try and prevent this it's difficult because the money's the draw into so <laughs> you can say well I'll pay you more but then Sauders will just pay more, won't they? Because that's what that's the the drawing to to play there. So really, I, I don't really know his profile. I suppose you want to be able to boost your payers' profile even more that you play in the Premier League, and and it's the stories that you sell uh, with the players involved might become more of a thing rather than throwing all his money money at him. It might be more of a building these players up on pedestals to be, you know, the greatest, um, and then that's where they get their extra bit of fill when it comes to sponsorship because they're not just a you know a centre forward who plays for I don't know Newcastle will say now you're playing for Newcastle in one of the best leagues in the world you know in the Champions League all the bright lights uh, and you're creating history here and that and that's the kind of probably the, the story that has to be told to inflate the players egos to make them stay yeah it is Rob and Obviously, I've been following football for a long time. And I remember Ronaldo, for example, going to Real Madrid for £80 million, And at the time, it was a world record fee. Mm. And it broke the world record fee of Kaká, which was about £56 million a few just a few days before that. So right. it shows just how mental football is going. When you were younger and you were first getting into the game, do you remember it being so money-orientated? Um, well, it wasn't telephone numbers. I remember, as Alan, Sh- Alan Shearer went to was it Newcastle for £15 million? I think, and that was a lot of money. I think Andy Cole went to United for something like seven, plus Keith Gillespie. And that, I remember skipping home from school, singing the old Andy Cole song with my mate because he'd he'd been on been to Newcastle and uh, scored whatever forty goals in a season, and we were like, he's going to come Old Trafford and we're going to be dominated. And to be fair, you know, he did really well at Old Trafford when you look back at his uh, his goal scoring record. Even though in my eyes he needed four chances to score one, but he still got towards the top of the Premier League uh, Premier League goal scoring charts. But yeah, looking back, it wasn't really sort of about sort of the big numbers. It was it was millions, but it was only like one ten. When now we're going to be we're talking like whatever. It's, one person gets ten million pound, don't they, at the end of the end of the contract, rather than someone buying someone for ten million. It's it's gone crazy football, and, and I don't see how it how it ends. I don't see how it how it can carry on, really, because like I say Mbappe doesn't go. He actually goes to Real Madrid, which is the other option for him for hundred and fifty mil. Then he's got to be paying him three hundred grand a week or something like that, which is you know for a top top player, you know. Where's where's Real Madrid getting that money from to to pay him and what's he doing with that money? You know, it's just going into his own bank. It's not being distributed around the the, the local Spanish economy, is it? You know what I mean. So it will be it'll be interesting to see how 
we were saying the football, the football bubble might burst, and I don't see it. Must be straining at the at the edges now, James, with everything that's going on regarding transfers. Yeah, the the, the landscape of football is changing, mm. isn't it, Rob? And we, we've gone from my childhood to your childhood, the era before when there was players like Sir Tom Finney who were literally just doing it as a hobby, yeah, yeah. almost, and that special nature of football that grassroots game is that gonna go are kids gonna be on the schoolyard thinking i am desperate to become a player who makes a champions league final or are they gonna think i'm a player who's desperate to go to saudi and get a ferrari yeah i just think it's a bit like you say these young kids coming through they'll 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 start on that journey and if you're at a club let's say a crew or a Stockport County or something, then it, as a player, it's your responsibility if you are to be sort of sold to a, the next level of, of football, which is like a Man United or a, a Man City, to provide for that that club. Because obviously Stockport have invested in you, they've they've trained you up, they've developed you and for you to sort of just disappear on a free transfer, I know that's the Bosman ruling, but I think there should be some kind of way that players can kick back to the old clubs and say, yeah, thanks for your efforts. Um, is, you know, I'm, I'm going to take my signing on fee for this new club and give it to you because, you know, all the, all the hard work. And, that, and that's the way football will have to be, I, I think. And it, it does worry me because obviously like the, these kids that have started, it's like, yeah, it could be worth a million pounds. And it's like, well, he's only 16. And he's not not done anything in the world of football yet. But how has he how has he got that value of one million pound? And then you you look at other players who are sort of bog standard sort of Premier League players who aren't anything special. That you know they do the tackles, they do the runs, you know they, they pass the ball about, and they're talking thirty forty million. And you're thinking forty million pound for for him. And it's just it's just like I say, it becomes like telephone numbers, don't it? It's just it's it's crazy how that people valuate um, you know what players are and I just can never get my head around that because it's obviously I look back like you say through my child and it's like Alan Shearer you know Andy Cole they were if they were on the open market now you know you'd be talking 90 80 70 80 90 million if you know probably more uh, but yeah it's it does it does squeeze my melon that kind of stuff you sound a bit like Sean Ryder there right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I feel like a bit Bit of Sean Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love a we love a good pun on the sports yeah. zone show, Rob. I think that's actually what we're we're more famous for now. Mm. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird how how, how sport gets you going, isn't it, James? Yeah, most certainly. But it's weird how football is like this. For me, Rob, rugby isn't that way yet. As mm. a Salford Red Devils fan, you can obviously give more insight into this than I can. Mm. But do you think it's still got that purity? I think with rugby league, it's obviously there's a massive wage sort of discrepancy in it between a Premier League, an average Premier League player, and a average rugby league player. Rugby league has salary cap where you can have, I think it's two point one million uh, for the for the old squad, and you know you have whatever it is. 25, 26 in a squad or something like that. So you're probably averaging about 40, 50 grand a, a, a sort of a year per player if you were going to divide it. Obviously, you'd have players who were, you know, on more because the star players who might be on 100k plus and you might have the player who are coming through at sort of 20k and it's about balancing that. But I think, like I say, it'll take a while for 
rugby to get anywhere near football because the infrastructure isn't there for the players um, and they're not it's not there for the fans as in it's not there for the clubs either because professional uh, rugby league started in sort of the, the mid 90s and really it was just players were professional and they paid them a sort of a decent wage at the time but clubs struggled to put an infrastructure around them so you've got players now who are on a good a good bit of money right but clubs haven't sort of produced these um sort of ability to to generate cash to pay these players top whack money so you either have a big owner who has lots of money who has another business somewhere else that sort of pumps money into the club and, and distributes it to his players or you you kind of struggle uh, to attract the very very best to come to your club so for the devils are uh, you know a real good club that you know the run right paul king you know, does a, a great job. Uh, you know, balancing the books after you know Marwan Kukash and and all the all the crazy thing that's happened during his uh, time at the club. So we are in, the, in a good state financially. Um, we have created a decent squad that you know has competed, got to the uh, the Challenge Cup, uh, the Super League semi final last year. We've we've lost a few couple of players recently, but I look at the squad and I look at Paul Rowley and I think, you know, we're, we're building a nucleus of players here who aren't on mega money, who just want to play and do the best for the shirt, and that's and that's where we'll need to be if we want to be successful. We can go out and and buy a, a top Australian uh, international uh, second row and pay him three hundred thousand a year, which they can do in Australia because the salary cap's four times, uh, you know, what ours is, and that's the difference why Australia are far better than we are at rugby league. But that is why we are where we are because we can only afford to to purchase players who have something to prove and that's why Salford are an opportunity club. Yeah, yeah, I think it's very interesting the way you put it there, Rob. And for you as a fan, it must be a much more pleasurable experience in a way than when you're watching football. Can you tell me, obviously, you being a massive Manchester United fan as well, the difference in perspective and emotions you have when you're watching Salford Red Devils play and you're watching Manchester United play? Yeah, through through my life, James, um, I've had... Man United and 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 Salford Red Devils have been the constant, and through the Fergie years, I had my um, fill of winning because Man United won everything, you know. And and through the same period of the sort of the late nineties, mid nineties to whatever it was, maybe mid two thousands or whatever, Salford weren't very good, and we didn't win. Very much, and I always said there was a link between when United won, Salford didn't, and when Salford won, United didn't, and that theory stood the test of time. I'll tell you that, James. So it will be. It was. It did go for a while, um, but obviously with United sort of dipping form, and you know Ferguson leaving, and you know Salford then went on a bit of a run. Ian Watson came in, got us a, a sort of a Challenge Cup final got us to a grand final we won more games United didn't uh, and now it's it's gone the other way a bit now where we're competing sort of at the sort of top of the Super League and United are sort of banging around sort of middle to top um, obviously this year got to the Champions League didn't they so we're in a bit of a, a funny predicament where both teams are playing well and winning so it will be interesting to see but yeah I've always said that uh, uh, I've had a really balanced life when it comes to comes to uh, you know 
uh, uh, enjoying success and, and, you know, with United and Salford, that's, uh, that's been a way of, of my life, really. So, have you ever had a good weekend, Rob? <laughs> it's always, always someone's like, someone always lets you down, James. <laughs> just, just sounds utterly awful, Rob. <laughs> no, but it's, it's it's not. To be fair, it's not that bad, really, because it gives you that grounding, doesn't it? Because you can you can watch one of your teams, you know, play wonderful and, and win, and you're on, you're on cloud nine. You think, you know, this this is what sport is all about, and then you tune into the other team, and you know they're not playing well and it's a bit of a drag and you think well you know what I mean I've, I've grounded here I've grounded myself I've come I've been high I've enjoyed the sporting masterclass of one team and now this other team's going to come and just serve up this average performance to to make you think well you know let's keep our feet on the ground let's keep this balance in life so Rob describe to me what it's like on those rare weekends when everything just goes brilliant Manchester United have produced a dazzling performance at Old Trafford. Mm. Salford Red Devils have blown you away at the AJ Bell. And Paul Whiteside has utilised his amazing jab to box yeah. his way to victory at Bowlers. What is that like? Oh, it's it's a moment, James. A moment that will will we'll win the heart for, for a long time. Uh, when, when all your teams win, and Paul wins at the boxing as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I go to bed that night and I think, you know what, everything's right in the world and, and I'm, I'm proved right when all three win. You know, Rob, that sounds special. It does. That sounds like things have just been. It sounds like you're at peace. Yeah, I do. It is, James, and that's what that's what sport brings you. It gives you that kind of, uh, you know, glow, doesn't it? That you know, you watch these teams through thick and thin, and uh, you know, it's great. Sometimes you you know you we have these moments, don't you, where this is the reason why you go. We, we talked about with Salford with a million pound miracle when we went to old KR in in two thousand was it sixteen uh, where. We had to stay up to. We had to win to stay up, and uh, we were down by eight points. I think it was in with about three minutes to go. We scored two tries in, uh, you know, in two minutes, and then we drop a goal, drop goal from fifty meters uh, in one minute into extra time, and you know that still stands as one of the, the greatest sporting moments I've ever experienced because of the sheer switch from from agony because. At that moment, we're going down with two minutes to go. In my eyes, Sulphur Devils are going down and ceasing to exist. And then three minutes later, literally three minutes later, we're, you know, riding this wave of uh, emotional wow, where we never saw it coming. And that was that was the best thing about it because at that point, you're thinking it's over and you're contemplating what happens next in your life. And then Sulphur to serve up that. It was like supernatural experience, really, where they, they, they score two tries. Hull, KR don't even touch the ball in that period, so there's nothing they can do about it either. Um, so yeah, it was it was a wonderful moment. Every soul fan who who, who was there that day or, or saw it uh, will will get goosebumps on there on the goosebumps uh, talking about that because it was just a special moment. Goosebumps on their goosebumps. Rob. Yes, <laughs> that is up there with float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. <laughs> Yeah, it was James. It was yeah. It was it was such a special moment, especially because you've you've seen, I've seen Salford, you know, get get relegated before. Which is, you know, I remember the first time I saw saw, saw Salford get relegated in two thousand and two, and I before then I was like, I always thought Salford were the best team in the, in the league, and I couldn't quite get my head around the fact that we were bottom. And that first relegation in two thousand and two really broke me because I was a bit like that realization that my team I watch every week isn't that good um but 
when you I suppose when you get relegated, you still go down to the first division, aren't you? You're not going out of existence. But the way the club was being run at that moment and the noises Marwan Kukaf was making, it was all are we still going to have a club to watch? So that made that three minutes of of, of mad madness even more magical because you were looking at that possible ending that really sad ending for not just for me as a fan you know the, the city as a whole because you know Salford Red Devils are you know were the, the only professional uh, sports club in the, in the you know the city at the time you know and for them to disappear would leave a massive void of a sporting void in, in the in the city wouldn't it so it was a uh, yeah a real real moment um, which I'll never forget yeah I mean as far as sport goes it gives you these amazing moments that there isn't much of a parallel to mm. in everyday life. And as far as it's going to go for the rest of your existence, Rob, which hopefully goes on for a very long time, <laughs> we'll be doing this sports zone show for the next hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Where do you foresee Salford going? Do you think you'll see a league win or a massive victory? I do. I think James, because we're on a journey with, with Paul Rowley. He's, he's a top coach. He's, he's putting this team together. We're playing the best rugby I've seen in a in a Salford team. They like to move the ball. They like to find space. They like to play. Um, the problem is the the packs suffers. They're not massive, so they're not really able to run through teams. They have to go wide, which which is great because obviously it's good to watch when you know we're moving the ball wide. So, if Paul Rowley can keep the nucleus of this team together, bring a few more players in who are, I want to say, bigger forwards than we've got who can make meters, um, we might have a team. To be honest, we got to the semi final last year. We weren't that far away from getting to another grand final. Um, don't forget the Ian Watson team, uh, two thousand and nineteen, got to got to the, the grand final. So, we, we I think we're starting to. Uh, experience uh, playing in the big games and that's the thing with Salford we've never really been a club that experiences playoff football or semi-final football we're always dropping out quarter-finals or not quite making the playoffs and as a club we need to be able to do that we need to constantly get into a quarter-final or get into a you know, a playoff semi-final, even a grand final, just so the players are conditioned to it, us fans are conditioned to it. Because I remember the one, the grand final against Saints at Old Trafford, right? We went to uh, to that day and every soul fan I spoke to were like, they had no no um, sort of prediction on it. They were like, I'm here just to enjoy the day because I never thought I'd get there. But we get to a grand final, you've got to win. And I just think that day, the players gave everything, right? But there was no, the fans weren't really like, there was no zip because we were like, let's just, I'm just, I can't believe I'm here. And and that's why I think we lost that game because the crowd were a bit like, we're just going to bask in this moment because I never thought I'd get here with Salford. When next time it comes along, that mentality won't happen because you've been there once, you've, you've enjoyed your day. We're here to win this time, uh, and that's what Paul Rowley's plan is to to build a team good enough to get to a grand final or a Challenge Cup final win. So, when do you think that opportunity will come up next? I think, well, I think this season, James, they they started really well. Um, he's, he's only got a small squad, 
Paul Rowley because of all the sort of the finances and stuff. That he, you know, he can't sort of put a big squad together. And we had a lot of injuries and key players were out and we we started I think we we got about third I think and then slowly but surely we've started dropping down and teams above have started winning and winning and we've just dropped out the six now and transfer deadlines coming up 2nd of August and it's one of them where Paul Rowley don't forget with all the uh, the Reds Rise Together campaign and all the money raised there um they've lost two players aren't they this week, Tower de Pre and Ellis Longstaff. So they got money for for Tower de Pre. The question will be on um, Paul King's mind and on Paul Rowley's mind is: Do I give the money to Paul Rowley now to inject into this team to get us back into a, a playoff uh, position, or do I keep it and build again for next year? Because at the moment we're looking tired, James. And I said to Paul Rowley a couple of times, I spoke to him, said, "How do you change this?" How do you how do you stop that? I mean, my actual question to him is how do you stop the spin? Because I think about it, when you're in a, a car and you skid and you you spin, don't and you're out of control. And I do feel that's what Solford is at the moment. We're fatigued and we're just we're just looking for a for a way uh, to stop the spin. And at the moment, they're struggling to do that. Yeah. So you're in a position right now where there's an element of being optimistic and there's also this element of realism as well that's that's underlying that is that the opinion of most sulfur fans you're all in a similar boat i mean how does paul stand on this yeah i think i think we all realize where the club is i don't think there's a as a section of fans who think that sulfur red devils you know should go out and, and blow a load of money on a load of players because they know what how realistic this club is that we can only afford so many players and we can only have a certain wage structure and with injuries and, and stuff, players get taken away from you, don't you? Paul, I feel, I really feel sorry for Paul Rowley because he, if he manages to get his strongest team on the field, James, constantly, like he did in the, the first sort of half of the season, we were competing. But now with injuries and suspensions and now players being sold, he, he loses that quality on it and he must look at the rest of his squad and think I brought you in to do a job for me but I didn't expect you to come in and do you know a five or six game job for me I wanted you in and out because that's what I think you're good at so it will be interesting to see transfer market wise whether we're able to to bring someone in because he, he probably needs he's lost two so he probably needs at least four but then do you we, we brought two people in. We've done it twice. I remember we brought in Jackson Hastings and we brought in Joey Lussick um, two the year before the grand final year. And they kept us up because we were struggling at the bottom uh, when they came in. He came in with Joey Lussick, played Leeds, Jackson Hastings, played out with skin that day. And then managed to you know get out of the the um, the relegation playoff thing, which was, which was happening at the time. And then the year after, we went to the grand final. And it was like a, a sort of a, ta- a tactical transfer, tactical knowledge there where, where we're going to bring someone in and it's going to take this club to the next level. But on the flip side of that, we did once bring uh, Jack Little join in and Marmo in and they didn't and we bombed out. So it's a difficult decision for Paul Rowlett and for Ian Blease and Paul King to, to cast the chips in now or do we wait and get you know a, a player who's going to take us 
to the next level next season. Because don't forget, you're playing premium, aren't you, um, in the transfer market now with three days to go. It, it does your money. Do you get what you need for your money? That's the big question. It's difficult to answer, mm. isn't it, Rob? Where, where does your head stand on this right now? That's a good question, James, because, like I said, we, we need something. We need, to, we need to get back to winning ways. And you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll stay up. That's not a problem. Um, I think the problem will be is that fans will have seen us at the top and then you've got this slow decline, haven't you? Where you say we finish, I don't know, 10th, let's say. Uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be miles away from Wakefield and, and Castleford, but you've seen us at the top competing and you've seen us drop off. So the only way you fix that problem is to get a bigger squad. But if you want to get a bigger squad, you need more players. So you need more players for your money so are you going to get more players at the end of the season when there's trading going on and you can so barter with people or do you go and buy somebody at premium place just to chase that playoff spot to get in there because like I said before Salford need to be in the playoffs every year for fans who are outside of the Devils bubble to realise they've got a team there so what would I do I would I think I think you'd have to go and get a couple of superstar, not say superstar, but, you know, players who are going to get us back in the six. I think it's important this club stays in a playoff and competes for it to grow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think you're probably right there, Rob. I think you do need to, to make certain adjustments and bring in certain people if you're going to, if you're going to really challenge. Yeah, because I think it, it's different in football, isn't it? Because with football, there's a window in there. And it's not like rugby's like the old style where it's, it cuts, starts in like, I don't know, November and it ends in August. When football, you have like a window you know, at the beginning of the season, you have a window over Christmas and then you have a window at the end then where you start again. And it's kind of like a different mentality where before the, the transfer windows were created, if you wanted to flog somebody, you just pick up a phone and say, do you want this guy? And then that deal would get done that that weekend or whatever, and he'd be flirted off. But now you've got the situation where players like have to wait three months, just sitting there waiting for the window to open to to go move to the club. And that's and that's the way, that's the bad thing I think about transfers in football, um, that clubs aren't able to trade easy, and that also affects the smaller clubs because you know, like we said before about the the kid that's that's come from Stockport, you know, he will sort of leave, won't he? He'll have to wait for Christmas or he'll have to wait till the end of the season when Stockport might be short a bit of money in this example. And they might come to Man United and say, look, you can have him for whatever. And they just give it in there and then, give them, give them the money there and then. So it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting times for any any sport, really, how, how money dictates what you need to do. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Rob. And uh, I'm looking forward to how sport changes over the coming years, we've seen the differences. We've, we've gone through them in football and now in rugby and mm. in boxing as well. There aren't too many sports that are sticking true to their values. And I think rugby is probably up there with one that is. Uh, I mean, as, as was just said, boxing is completely gone. But it's interesting, actually. I've just read a, a biography of uh, Rocky Marciano. Oh, yeah. The old school boxing champion, a heavyweight, 49 and 0, who was around in the 40s and mm. 50s. And even then, there was scandalous people involved, mobsters involved. Has sport always been this way, in a sense, behind the scenes? Maybe. I think maybe... I suppose with boxing, 
because obviously you know there's lots of money in boxing isn't there you know promoters and selling arenas out and I suppose that dodgy people get attracted don't they to money and I think is that probably why boxing the way it is because everybody wants their pennies worth don't they and everybody's willing to do anything to get that penny's worth when football and rugby traditionally haven't been a multi-million, well, a multi-million pound industry, but you are share, you share that amongst, I don't know, 30 of you when in boxing, there's you, there's a boxer, there's a trainer, there's the promoter, maybe the guy who carries the, 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 uh, the gum shield. Um, but the rest are all like hangers on us, really. That's what I see it as. Yeah, you, you do, being honest. You get a lot of yes-men mm. in this sport. You get people, for example, Anthony Joshua. Mm. Who, who, who do you need in your corner, really, outside of you know your sponsors and your, your couple of pals, friends, family, etc., etc.? You don't need that many people, but he'd come into boxing events with an entourage of a couple hundred people. Yeah. And you're thinking, what are all, how many yes-men do you need? What are all these people doing? How are you justifying paying all these people yeah. and bringing them with you? It makes very little sense. Yeah. And thing is, though, He'll probably look back at his career and he'll think, oh, I've, I've so many million pound. Where did all the money go? And that, and they hit, that's where it'll go. Mm. It'll go on the yeah. entourage. But saying that, sport is just catching up with pop stars, aren't they? You know, musicians, Elvis Presley, the Beatles, you know, they had that problem in music in the 70s when footballers weren't on that kind of money, were they? You know what I mean? And it's uh, And now, with the way the world is and everything's inflated, sort of something where a pop star or a footballer or whatever back then it's been a tenner now they're on they're paying a thousand pound aren't they and not even thinking about it they are I mean you can just throw money around willy nilly can't you mm. there's no need to save and that's probably what makes these footballers reckless and it's what for so many causes ego problems how many do we see come through that just can't make it and it's because they can't deal with the money and also they struggle with what comes with fame yeah. it's not a difficult industry to be in with the press on you and all that sort of stuff. I mean, look at Marcus Rashford, for example, last season, yeah. and he he has managed to bounce back under the tutelage of Eric Ten Hag, but look how much he struggled. Yeah. Well, they, you forget, don't you, that they these these are only kids, aren't they? They're only, t- like, 20. What's Marcus Rashford, 25 or something like that? He's only, you know, he's still developing as a, as a human being. So he emotionally might not be in the right... He has to grow up and become this, you know, figure of of, of influence to to the nation. Um, you know, and that's pressure on him, really. He should just be concentrating on scoring goals. But, you know, everything that happens outside his, his, his life uh, is documented. So then that affects how he plays and that's and that's why he, he struggled for it. But he seems to have, have sorted that out. Now he's not as involved in, in things that aren't football related. So we'll see how he he, he continues in in, uh, in form this season. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited to see that, Rob. I mean, if you look at all the players that are around at the moment, who are you particularly looking forward to seeing what they get up to next year? It'd be interesting if likes of maybe Harry Kane. For me, because obviously he's at he's at a you know real crossroads in his career. He's at, he's at Tottenham, where he's got twelve months left on his contract. Bayern Munich, Munich are coming knocking, and he's chasing Alan Shearer's um, two hundred and fifty odd goals, whatever it is for in the Premier League. Is, I think he's about he's sixty off or something like that. So he's he's in contention to pass it. So does he go for personal glory, 
and stay at Tottenham, sign a new contract, beat Alan Shearer, and then be hailed as the greatest centre forward that's ever lived in in British Premier League? Or do you go to Germany, play for Bayern Munich, win a couple of Bundesliga, come back with a couple of trophies, live in Germany, live on a different sort of place in the world, enjoy a different culture, but maybe not come back to the Premier League and just be, you know, like third, fourth, top goal scorer rather than to be the best. Does he take success over, does he take, you know, winning trophies over personal success? That's the question for me. Yeah, obviously he's had a lot of personal success and it's great to break these records at Tottenham, etc, etc. But if he retires without a big trophy to his name, Mm. that is pretty harrowing when you look at his actual talent. Even Alan Shearer, you know, he had opportunities to go to Manchester United, but he still had that Premier League title with Blackburn. Mm. Kane has nothing. Mm. And that's the problem, I think, for him. I think he's probably... For me, I think he, he has to go to Germany to win a trophy because he gets that off his monkey off his back then. And if he stays in Germany for three years, he might come back for one year at Tottenham as a, as a, like a, a long goodbye. He's not going to become, he'll still be Tottenham's best goal scorer ever, but he won't be the Premier League's best goal. But like you said, he'll have a couple of Bundesliga in his back pocket to wave at people when they do question whether he's he made the right decision in, in his career. Yeah, I think that right now it's probably the wrong decision. And I know there's these rumours of Manchester United and, guarantee, and granted, you know, that's still not a guaranteed trophy, but yeah. he needs to get out of Tottenham. Mm-hmm. As much as he's loyal to them, I, it, he's not won anything on the international scene. He's not won anything at the club level. And to go down as a real great, you need that. Is he a million miles off the ability of the of, of these amazing players we've seen over the last few years? The Haaland's, the Neymar's, the Mbappe's, etc. I don't think he is. I think he's a great, great player. I think he's one mm. of the best on the planet. It's just the fact that he's at Tottenham has prevented him from really going, I'm the best player on the planet. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the thing, I suppose. He's, he's been tied to Tottenham for a while, on it? So he's, he's, the op versus his probably first and only opportunity to, to, to get away. And it'll be interesting to see if he, if he does take that. Who, who are you looking forward to uh, seeing this year? Oh, it's a different one. I am most looking forward to seeing, as of right now, probably how Declan Rice gets on. Oh, yeah. I think that'll be interesting, obviously, with him now at uh, Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I think he it's going to be interesting to see how well he fits into that side. He plays a very similar position to what Mikel Arteta did back in the day, so he knows what to do. He knows how to mould this player to somebody who'll fit that Arsenal team. And with the Gunners so close to winning the Premier League last season, it'll be intriguing to find out whether he can make the difference and edge them over the line. Do I think it'll be enough? Probably not. But there are storylines going into this season. Yeah. £105 James. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of pressure on him. It is. But, I mean, as we've said in sport today, is that... The money's just gone mental, hasn't it? Mm. And we're willing to spend hundreds of millions on seemingly anyone, Rob. I mean, there's a rumour that you're going to Manchester United for 200 million. Well, These are the I sort th- of things we're hearing. I think with Bruno Fernandes around me, I'd have to score at least a couple. I'd just be in there. <laughs> well, Rob, but, as you've always said, there's a reason why you value centre-forward so much because I've seen you on the field as a centre-forward and you are dynamic, you are yeah. quick, you are a natural goal scorer. You ring 10. 10, I can you tell him what, what I'm about and I might be Man United's answer. You could well be, Rob. And then, you know, Harry Kane, maybe... You're the sort of person who will convince Harry Kane that it's time to jump ship. Because <laughs> yeah. he needs a striking partner. 
And I think you're the man for the job, Rob. I could be. I could be the man, James, with a minute to go. I mean, what, I mean, what was your favourite position in, in in the football field? I played every position on the pitch as oh, yeah. a Sunday League player, Rob, aside from striker. So that mm. tells you a thing or two about my goal-scoring abilities. <laughs> but uh, I played predominantly as a right-back. Okay. And uh, not the sexiest position on the field, Rob, but I've tried my best. Not the most technical operator, but somebody who always tried and was willing to put in a slide tackle or two. With 40 seconds to go, what were you more like? Yeah, you you want to say Gary Neville, but it's probably more Tony Hibbert-esque if you want to be truthful. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Hibbert, good, good. That's, I like that one, James. It, you know, he, he, he was a good surgeon, servant at Everton, Tony Hibbert. Uh, he, he knew how to put a tackle in as well, which is important. Um, big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Soul City Radio. It's been different this week. We hope you've enjoyed it. Me and James have. Big thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon for more Soul for Sporting Chat. <laughs>